following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. In the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, a young lady by the name of Dorothy is all of a sudden taken away from her home where she grew up at. She finds herself in a foreign land, a foreign place with strange people, but some of these people remind her of people that she had been around all of her life. And so the whole movie, she wanders about trying to find her way back home, and her her rule was to follow the yellow brick road, and that'll take you where you want to go. But in the end, it was a pair of ruby red slippers that she put on, and she was instructed to click her heels and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And all of a sudden, she is back at home with her loved ones, and she finds out that some of these loved ones are the people that she encountered along the way. And so I think you can agree with me that uh, just like Dorothy, uh, you can say to yourself that there is no place like home. No matter how long you've been away from the home that you were brought up in, uh, no matter how far away you may be from your hometown or the people that you love, the people you grew up with, friends, family, cousins, brothers, sisters, all of those people, all of those um, life experiences that you were brought up in in your younger years, no doubt they are embedded in your mind. So how important is the home in today's culture? We know that beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, there is a great attack today in our nation on the family. Satan knows that if he can get at the family, he's got the majority of the battle won. The advantage is his. And so I think the greatest attack today is on marriage and on the home. So we're going through a series. We'll be going through it all the way through the month of June called The Compassion of Christ. We're looking at the miracles of Jesus as he made himself known on this earth as he interacted with people. We've looked at the feeding of 5,000, how he blessed a multitude of people by feeding them from a little boy's sack lunch of tuna fish and crackers. And today we're going to look at Jesus stepping into someone's home and touching a loved one of theirs for him and that person to continue to be able to serve him. How, how do we know that God is involved in the minor details of our life. How do we know that our homes can be influenced by Christian homes like we sung about just a few moments ago? So that's the question that I want to set up for you today. Is Jesus in your house in a way that it's going to influence not only the people who are raised in your home, but maybe by the people who visit in your home as well? When someone enters into your house, do they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is a family that loves the Lord? That's what Joshua said. Joshua said in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what Joshua was referring to then was not necessarily those who were under his roof, but his house was his family, extended family, relatives of his. He says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When someone enters into your home, do they know that this is a place that loves, honors, cherishes the Lord, but most importantly of all, this is a home that has been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're in the Gospel of Luke, 
chapter 4. This miracle is actually recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this same miracle. Uh, the chronology is a little bit different in each one of them. Mark is the only gospel writer where it shows that Jesus called his disciples before this miracle took place. Matthew and Luke actually say that Jesus called his disciples after this miracle. And so I think that's key that Luke focuses on that chronology of these incidences. Because I think that this situation that we look at today Jesus is actually setting the stage in Peter's life for him to be able to call him to be a follower of his. So if you have your Bibles this morning, this was actually a passage that we looked at in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Uh, Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 38 through 40. Now he arose from the synagogue... And entered into Simon's house, he being Jesus and Simon being Simon Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for your word. I just pray, Lord God, that we will continue to be a people of the word. That every decision that we make, Lord God, will be based upon the scriptures, the directives that you give us through your word. I pray, Lord God, that this church will be based on the foundations and the principles of your word. And everything that we do, every ministry that we are involved in. And my prayer, Lord God, is for everybody in this congregation, each and every household, each and every home, each and every family that is represented here this morning and within the sound of my voice, Lord God, that they would focus on your word as a basis and the foundation for their home. We thank you for what you're about to reveal to us through your word, Lord God, and we pray that you'll use it to impact our lives. We just ask it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. There are several specific things that I want to point out in these three brief verses in this miracle of Jesus simply casting out a high fever. I think it reveals how he wants to be intimately involved in our lives, even in the little details. And I think it reveals that the things that concern us concern him as well. And I think that through what we see in this passage, it just shows That whenever God interacts in your life, he wants to give you a peace of mind that will allow you to follow him. And you'll rest assured knowing that he is in control. He'll take care of your every need no matter how big or how small it is. And I think it just shows beyond the shadow of a doubt that when Jesus steps into your house, when you allow him to come into your home, That everyone's life is impacted by his power and his presence. The first thing I want to ask is this. Does your home create an atmosphere where Jesus is invited? Point number one. Our homes should create an atmosphere where Jesus is invited. And so it's more, uh, it's very, very obvious here. That Simon Peter's home was a place where Jesus was allowed. Jesus felt comfortable in. 
And this was a place where he said, you know, I, I know that they want me here, that they've invited me here, and I don't see anything that will hinder me from coming to this place. So our home should create an atmosphere where Jesus is invited. In other words, it's an atmosphere that is conducive to his presence. There's nothing ungodly or unchristlike present that would make Jesus just step back and say, you know what, I, I don't think this is a place where you honor me, where you accept me, and it's not a place where I want to be. So three other sub-points to this uh, first point that I want to make. Uh, they all begin with the letter E. Your home should be a place where the presence of Jesus is experienced. Your home should be a place where the presence of Jesus is experienced. In other words, when your children wake up every morning, do they know, hey, we're going to set the tone by going to the Lord in prayer. We want you to experience the power and the presence of Jesus before you ever start your day. Secondly, your home should be a place where loving Jesus is encouraged. Do they know that Loving Jesus is a part of your life. Do you encourage them to study their Bible on their own? Do you encourage them to pray on their own? And number three, your home should create a Christ-honoring environment. Everything about your home, the TV shows that are watched, the music that is played, the conversations that are held, does it create an environment where beyond the shadow of a doubt, Christ is honored here above everything else. And number four, your home should be a place where the presence of Jesus is expected. It should be a place where the presence of Jesus is experienced. No doubt about it. When I come into my home, I want to know, God, I, I feel your presence here. I know this is a place that you're honored. I know this is a place where you are invited in. I've intentionally made a way for you to be worshipped here. I've prayed. I've covered each one of my, my entries. I've walked into each and every bedroom. The things that I allow into my house are going to be things that honor the Lord Jesus Christ because I want him to know that he is invited into my home anytime and any place he wants to be there. And so we see that that's exactly what Simon Peter did. He intentionally went out of the way. He got Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I've got a need here, and I want you to come to my house, and I want you to know that you are invited into my home as a guest, a very welcome guest, a very honored guest. And so we see this taking place in Hebrew literacy uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We see a passage that is recited. They were intentional about making their home a place where God was honored, where God was welcome, and where there were visible signs that this is a place that God has invited in to be a part of our life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a passage known as the Shema. And it was something that the Hebrew people would recite each and every day. They would teach it to their children. And it would let them know that the priority in this house is to invite the Lord Jesus into our house. God is a welcome vet, guest. He is invited into our home in every way, and we're going to make him a priority in our home each and every day. They would recite this, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you are in your house. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And here's the key right here. A visible sign that God has invited into my home. A visible sign that God is allowed into this home. And a a visible sign that this is an environment where God is welcome over everything else. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, everything that we do, everything that we say, when we rise up in the morning, when we lie down at night, When we're walking by the wayside, when we're talking, when we're having conversations, we want you to know and we want God to know that he is invited guest and a welcome guest in this home. So here's a question for you. Is your home a place where there is no doubt that Jesus is a welcome guest? Or is your home a place where you could or would need to clean up a few things Or put away some items that you might make feel, uh, that might make Jesus feel a little bit uncomfortable if he were to walk in. Think about the condition of your house right now. Think about if I were to just pop in as a surprise guest. Would you scurry about? Would you want to vacuum the floors? Would you want to clean the place up? Would you want to tidy and make the bed? Is it in a condition right now that is welcome for me or anyone else to come in as a guest? I know that whenever we have guests at our house, man, it is Katie bar the door. It's a cleaning frenzy. The pledge comes out. The mop comes out. All the dirty clothes, all the dirty dishes are put away. We want the condition and we want the environment to be inviting to a guest that comes into our house. But if Jesus were to walk into your house right now, Are there some things that you might need to put away? Are there some things right now that you would not want him to see? Would you have to change the channel on the TV because you wouldn't want him to hear the filth and the garbage that's coming through the television set? Or is your home naturally a place where Jesus is invited and welcome in at any time? What about your life? Are there some things in your life where you say, you know what, I, I might just need to get this cleaned up a little bit before I hang out around Jesus. Or maybe I'm doing some things that that just turn Jesus away. Or is my life a place where God is welcome all the time? Is my life, is my, everything that I do and everything that I say, is it a place where Jesus is welcome over everything else? Point number two that we see In this passage, we should be specific and intentional in our prayer life about intercession. Not only was Simon's house a place that made Jesus feel welcome, not only was it a place where Jesus was more than invited, but they were intentionally interceding on behalf of his mother-in-law. We find out through this that Simon Peter did have a wife. He had a family life. 
He had a home. He had a mother-in-law. We don't know much about his parents. We don't know much about his in-laws. But we do see that Simon Peter was married. And we also see that he had a mother-in-law that was living with him. Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. The people in your house, how often do you intercede on their behalf? Occasionally, daily, quite frequently throughout the day, are there people on your heart that you get take before the Lord? Do you say, Jesus, not only are you invited in my home, but I want you to be involved in these people's lives as well because they are near to me, they are dear for, to me, and they have a need that only you can meet. As we learn about the compassion of Christ and his interaction with others, do you intercede for those within the realm of your influence? How often do you make intercession for those that you truly love? How often do you make intercession for those that are under your roof, within your family? They may not live with you anymore. They may be hundreds of miles away. But the Bible says that you can bring their name before the throne of grace at any time and any place. And just like Jesus, God has also sent you to be a part of other people's lives. This might not have seemed like a big deal to many other people, but to Simon Peter, it was a big deal. It shows that he loved his mother-in-law. He cared for her. He was responsible for her. But it also shows that he knew that Jesus had the power to do something about her situation. What about you? Is there someone right now that you know that needs a touch from the Lord? Have you taken their name before the Lord and said, God, I need you to intervene in their life because it's impacting my life as well. It's impacting my ability to serve you. And with them on my heart and me having to take time to take care of them, it inhibits my ability to serve you the way that I should. Do you tell other people you will pray for them and then walk away and forget it. I think Peter could have went to his mother-in-law and said, you know what, we're going to pray for you. It'll be okay. Uh, you just stay right there where you're at. And I think in our lives a lot of time, that's what we do as well. We meet people with a need. We tell them, say, oh, you know, God's going to bless you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to put you on our prayer list. And then we forget about it. But I think that's why Peter went intentionally to Jesus and said, look, let's do something about this right here and right now. And I believe that you have the power to do that. And I believe you have the ability to touch her life. So when you intercede for others, when you meet someone that you haven't talked to in a long time, when someone comes to you and says, hey, I need you to pray for me over this matter or this situation, do you just say, okay, we're going to put it on a prayer list and we'll take care of it later on? Or do you do something about it right then and right there? Do you intentionally stop what you're doing and take the time to pray for them and with them right there on the spot? How much of an impact would that make in someone's life if you were to stop right then and right there and maybe lay your hand upon them or grab them by the hand and say, you know what, this is a serious matter. I can tell it's something that's weighing heavy on your heart. 
What impacts you impacts me as well. And we're going to pray for this right here and right now. And I truly believe that God has the power to intervene on your behalf. That's what intercessory prayer is all about. Simon Peter didn't say, you know what, we're, we're going to pray about this while we're in the synagogue. He said, oh, we're going to do something about this right here and right now. I'm taking your name to Jesus, and I'm going to ask Jesus to come and intervene on your behalf right here and right now. Notice their intentionality of how they handled this situation. They made request of him Concerning her. Here's the picture of intercession I want you to draw from this event. When I pray and when you pray, I am going to get Jesus. And I'm bringing him to the place of need. And I'm asking him to resolve a situation that I can't control. But I know that he can make a difference. Are you that intentional about intercessory prayer? When God lays someone on your heart, do you maybe drive over to their house and say, God has has revealed something to me. You've got a need, and I want to pray for you. I'm not going to just put you on a prayer list and forget about it. We're going to do something about it right here and right now. They intentionally went to Jesus, found where he was at, and they made a request of him concerning her. They said, Jesus, if if you're willing, would you come and do something about this? My home is a place where you're invited. I I want to make intercession for my mother-in-law because it's weighing heavy on my heart. She's hurting. She has a high fever. And we truly believe that you have the ability to, to do something about this. You, you, you might say, well, preacher, you know, I, I just don't know how to pray like that. I, I don't know how to learn how to, I've never learned how to pray in intercession for someone else. I, I don't know the words to say, look, it's okay. God's Holy Spirit will help you to pray for that person. It doesn't have to be something long and elaborate. You just come by faith and you speak what's on your heart and you say, God, protect this person. You know what's going on. He knows your need before you even ask of it. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Has a lot to say about intercessory prayer. And maybe us not knowing exactly what to express or, or the words to say. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So obviously the Apostle Paul experienced the same problem. I just don't know the words to express. I don't know the right words to say. Here's what he wrote. He said, But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
Intercessory prayer. Is that something that you're involved in? Are you intentional about praying for others? God's not looking for the most articulate prayer. He's looking for an expression of faith. What kind of a request are you making right now for those people whose lives you're influencing? Are you understanding that it's all about what he can do? It's not about what you can do or what you can say. So that leads me to my next point. When we're inviting Jesus into our lives, when we're making our lives in our home a place where Jesus is invited and welcome, when we're making intercession for other people, here's the thing. That's going to make a significant impact on other people's lives. Number three, we should go before the Lord with confidence, knowing that our prayers make an eternal impact. Verse 39, it says, So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Such a simple phrase, such a short phrase. But just think about the impact that that made on Peter's mother-in-law. Think about the impact that it made on Peter as well. Think about the impact that it made on everyone in the house that watched Jesus as he rebuked that fever and it left her. Is God concerned about the minor details of our lives? Can anybody here testify that God has touched your life in some way, shape, or form? Can anybody here testify that God is concerned about the little things in your life? Can anybody here say amen that God has touched my life in a way where there's no doubt about it? It was the hand of God. I know I can. I've seen him meet so many needs. I've seen him answer so many prayers. I've seen him impact my life in so many ways. He has blessed my life with people. Both people who have poured into my life. And he's also blessed me to be able to touch other people's lives as well. And whenever you pray for someone, whenever you take the time to intercede on their behalf, what you're doing is you're bringing heaven down into their lives to intervene on their behalf. You're inviting Jesus. You're intentionally going to get Jesus to say, Jesus, I I want you to touch this person's life in a way to where there's no shadow of a doubt that it was the hand of God that changed the situation that they were in. God, I I didn't say the most elaborate prayer, but I spoke from a heart of faith, trusting in you to take care of the situation. And I think that early on in Peter's life, this situation was part of what shaped him into who he was. Was he a perfect person? Absolutely not. He denied knowing the Lord three different times on the same night. He walked on water for a little bit and sank deep within. And the Lord lifted him up. Peter did some off-the-wall things that he shouldn't have done. But I think this situation early on in his life opened his eyes to who Jesus was and what he wanted to do. And I think Jesus intervened on his behalf. Because he knew that this matter here 
if he could correct it, then that was going to set Peter free to serve him even more. Next week we're going to look at when Jesus actually called Peter out. But I think this situation is setting the stage for that calling upon Peter's life. But our prayers make an eternal impact in the lives of others. And is God really interested in the minor details of my life? The God of this universe, who's in control of all things, why does he want to be involved in my life? Is he really interested in the minor details of my life? We're talking about the passion of Christ. And the Bible says that just as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. In Matthew chapter 29, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, excuse me. Jesus says this, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. He's in that much concern that when a little bird falls to the ground, he knows it, he acknowledges it, he recognizes it. He said, what does that have to do with me? He says this as well. He says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows that much about your life. That when one of your hairs falls out and goes down in the drain and clogs up the drain, when it falls out of your head, he even knows about it because he has every one of the hairs of your head numbered. No matter how many or how few you have, he knows every one of them. And it says that he knows when the sparrow falls from the sky. He's in that much control of the minor issues of this universe. But he says this in verse 31. He says, do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You know, I I think it's kind of cliche to say this right here. But God is good. (laughs) God is good. All the time, thank you. And he knows what's going on in your life. And if he takes the time to number the very hairs of your head, he's concerned even when a little fever comes upon you or a loved one. He knows the issues that weigh upon your heart. He knows what concerns you. He knows what grieves you. He knows what worries you. He knows what bothers you. He knows what gets under your skin. And he is more than capable of taking care of those needs in your life. And when we go to the Lord with confidence, when we intercede on the behalf of someone else, know this, your prayers make an eternal impact. When you pray, here's the picture that I want you to get. No matter how big the issue is, no matter how small the issue is, but just like this scene that we're reading about in Peter's house, Jesus is standing over his mother-in-law. 
And here's a picture that I want you to get whenever you pray. If you're praying for an individual or a loved one, no matter what's going on, if they're lost, if they don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, if they're sick, if they're in a hospital bed, here's the picture that I want you to get. Jesus is standing over that person, and he's praying over them as well. Not only is he praying over them, but he is rebuking whatever that matter is. Because Peter took the time to intentionally go and get Jesus. Say, Jesus, come to my house. You are welcome in my house. I'm making my house an inviting place for you to come and visit. And I'm interceding on the behalf of my mother-in-law. And now I want you to make an impact in her life for all of eternity. And Jesus says, okay, I got this. I see how important of a matter this is because you intentionally went out of your way and now I want to be involved not just in her life but in your life as well. How many of you have ever prayed over a little child that had a fever? Maybe a son or a daughter. Maybe a grandchild. Man, those times like that, they're so precious. Because we see them hurting, we see them worried, we see them scared. And then we don't know what to do. We put them in the lukewarm bath water, we've given them Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tylenol, switching them out to make the fever go away and the fever just won't break. So out of our desperation, we go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I don't know what's going on in this child's body. I don't know what type of infection their body is trying to fight. But what's going on here is keeping us from serving you the way that we want to. Would you please, please, please do something about this? Now just think about this. You probably know someone who's headed for hell. You probably know someone who does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may know someone whose lifestyle does not reflect someone who has been born again. When is the last time you've interceded for them? Maybe you haven't gone to that person specifically and prayed over that. But every day do you get before the Lord and say, God, this person needs a touch from you. They're infected with sin. And right now, Lord, if they died, they would spend eternity in hell. Would you please do something? For this loved one of mine. Would you please do something for this friend? Would you make yourself real to them. And impact their lives. For all eternity. That's the picture of intercessory prayer. That I want you to have this morning. The word rebuke in the original language. Is a word epitomeo. And it means to denounce. It means to express strong disapproval. Or to command or to give a warning, but it's implying a threat. Jesus rebuked. He threatened this fever. I want you to leave her body right here and right now because it's impacting her life and it's impacting Peter's life. It's impacting Peter's wife. And it says that Jesus went and he rebuked the fever and immediately it left her. I've prayed for many of you. I've been to the hospital and prayed for many of you. Maybe before you had a procedure. There are many other people who aren't with us today that I prayed for. 
You've done the same thing. You've been to someone's house. They've had an illness. They've had a sickness. They had a concern in their life. Some of these prayers, God has answered. Some he has not. And you might be asking that question right now. Preacher, what what happened? Why didn't God answer that prayer? I prayed for my dad. I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my mother-in-law. Some of those prayers he's answered. Every one of those prayers he's answered. Some he's answered in the way that I asked. Some he has not. And you may be asking yourself, God, why does God seemingly answer some of my prayers? He fulfills those requests and some he doesn't. Because God knows better than we do. I think that's a question that we all struggle with. God does answer each and every one of our prayers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says not yet. You're just not ready. But our prayers do make an eternal impact. That's what intercession prayer is all about. The next thing we see is what happens with Peter's mother-in-law immediately after the fever left her. Verse 39, he stood over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and served them. We have a prayer list that we go over each and every Wednesday night in our midweek Bible study and prayer service. And when I look at that list of people, it's a list of people that I know that if they were in better condition, they would probably be here. And so sometimes when we have issues in our life that inhibits our ability to come and serve the Lord and worship the Lord the way that we should. And we see that that's exactly what happens with Peter's mother-in-law. As soon as she is healed of this fever, as soon as Jesus touches her life, as soon as he rebukes the fever, she gets up and she begins serving everyone in the house. So point number four I want to make. Serving others with joyful heart is highly influential. So all three gospels make mention that as soon as Jesus rebuked the fever, Peter's mother-in-law was well enough to begin serving. So I had to ask myself this question. Was this miracle performed to influence Peter or to influence his mother-in-law? I think that everyone in the house was influenced by this miracle. And I think that once Peter's mother-in-law, once her life was touched by the hands of Jesus, she got up and she began serving out of a thankful heart. Jesus, you have healed me. Jesus, you have touched my life. Now, what can I in turn do for you to show you my gratitude? And I think that when Peter saw her serving the Lord after being healed, that influenced his life as well. If Jesus has impacted your life, does your service to the Lord reflect it? Do others recognize your gratitude by the way you compassionately serve others? God has touched my life. He's influenced my life. And now I can't help but to serve him and do the same thing for other people.
Psalms chapter 100 verse 2 says this. It says to serve the Lord with gladness. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Peter's mother-in-law, her life was touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. She was made whole again. And she began serving. And I think Peter saw her service as a reflection of her gratitude. And it impacted his life as well. When others see you serving the Lord with the heart of thanksgiving, it is highly influential. You're the evidence. You're the billboard. You're a significant verification that God can and God will and God does change people's lives. And now that he has touched my life, now that he has changed my life, I can't help but to serve him by serving others. I become the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he has touched me, when he has cleansed me, when he has made me whole, it then becomes my job, my duty to serve others and become the hands and feet of Jesus. So in your household, have you created an atmosphere where Jesus is invited? In your household, do you consistently intercede on behalf of others? Do you know for sure, do you pray with confidence knowing that your prayers are making an eternal impact? And with your service to the Lord, are you influencing others? Are are you leading the way? Here's what a life lived for Jesus looks like. I'm praying for others. I'm serving others. And I'm doing what the Lord asked me to do each and every day. Is your home a place where Jesus is welcome? Is Jesus a welcome visitor in your home right now? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus were to step into your home, that he would say, oh, this this is a place where I feel welcome at. I I can see that the the signs are there everywhere. I I see people reading the Bible. I see people praying. I, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is a household that is filled with love for each other, but it's also filled with a love for me. Are you leading the way for others in your household? Are you being an influence in their lives? When they get out of your household at some point in time, will they go away and say there's no place like home? There's no place like home. I I want my home to be like a home that I grew up in. Do you regularly make intercession for others, especially for those in your household? Are you making an internal impact through your intercessory prayer? The bottom line is this. What if he were to show up unexpectedly right now in your home? What condition would he find it in? Here's an old poem by Lois Blanchard Sades. It goes like this. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest. And all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there. 
And serving him in your own home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched and welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? And I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would your life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read? And let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed. Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone. It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Folks, our home should be a place where when people walk in, they know beyond the shadow of a doubt this is a house that fears the Lord. This is a house that worships the Lord, and this is a house that wants to serve the Lord. There should be signs everywhere that this is a place where Jesus is invited anytime he wants to come in. And this is a place where if you have a need when you come into our house, we're going to intercede and we're going to pray for you. We're not just going to say we're going to do it. We're actually going to pray for you that God would intervene in your life. So if you're here this morning and you're visiting, guess what? This is our house. This is God's house. And we prayed for you. We prayed that God would touch your life through this message, through the song, through the worship. That as soon as you walk through those doors, you would feel his presence. Not only are you invited into this place, but we've invited God into your life as well. So you may be here today and say, Brother Tracy, I, I don't know where I'm going when I spend eternity. I, I heard you talk about a place called hell. I've talked to, heard you talk about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but I just don't think I have that in my life. Well, let me just say this. Before you walk out those doors, you can leave knowing that Jesus Christ is a part of your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's a time for you to respond to what you've heard through this message. Maybe there's been some verse, some scripture 
Some song that you heard that has opened your eyes and opened your hearts and made you realize your need to have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's why this is called an invitation. We are now inviting you to respond to what the Lord has spoken to you. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.